Greetings ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest video. There is no epic loot here, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. The link to the story will be down below. If you wish to support the author, please head over there and give them support. If you wish to support the channel, there are numerous ways to do so down below. There is Discord, Merch, Patreon, bunch of other stuff too. So have a look in the description, you might be surprised. Anyways, now on to the fiction. As always, I hope that you enjoy. A quick thank you to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Cat Crab Lobster, Dark Machine, Estrella the Dreamer, Mesic, Feudic Yarl, Casper Arnholtz, and Chaos to Mist. Thank you very much. Chapter 141. Hardly do you. The sound of a branch snapping underfoot disturbed the dark forest. The way around Durance was long, and more than once they had cut down old spiderwebs. But the creepy thing was that there were no spiders big enough to make the webs to be found anywhere. It was like they all got up and died and ran away. You sure that they were hurting here? A gruff man asked over one shoulder. Definitely. My contact in the capital bank told me they're opening a special account for this backwards place. That only happens when there's a profit to be had. That means a dungeon or some new god. A thinner man in leathers and a red bandana around his neck said with a smile. And this place is what? A farming village? Cattle? Cattle makers? The third member of the group asked in disdain. It was just listed as village in the local records. It was likely some old baron's villa that got fobbed over to the local peasants to keep them happy. And they built shacks around it or something. The first man snorted, a massive battle axe lung over his back as his arms rippling muscles. His bald head has a nasty burn scar going down one ear. Great, another crappy place getting red carpet treatment because some hellhole dungeon spawned under it. Their third person, a woman with a staff that had three snakes intertwined together until they all led into a red orb at the top. The woman wore a shimmering purple robe that had massive slit going up the side, and her heels would be unsuited for the forest. But little magical platforms appeared under her feet every time she took a step. The last member didn't speak at all, but their form was hidden under a cloak, their bulk bulging at the seams while the book they held had a yellowing pages with the symbol of two eyes in front, one blue and the other yellow. Halt, the first man said abruptly, causing the group to come to a dead stop as they listened. Far ahead of them, a man walked around with a jar, picking up mushrooms. His dress robe was expensive, and he looked to be some scholar. Huzzah, remove or ignore, the man in leather asked, drawing a wicked long curving black blade that began to immediately drip the moment he removed it from his sheath. Ignore! We might need the town to use as an inn or info source. No need to burn bridges before we use them. Put your blade down, Khan. Hazer instructed, and the other man looked massively displeased, but did so. The dripping stopping the moment it was back in its sheath. The ground from underneath them hissed where the magic acid ate into the plants and the roots in the soil. We could blast down into the dungeon, make our own entrance, and just pretend it was always there, the woman suggested, as she stroked her snake staff as it glowed with intense energy. Don't bother. Taxman already mapped out the first floor, and dungeons don't make new entrances so soon. 
Just find a damn entrance and get on with it, Estelle. Hazer barked as the man in the distance vanished into the cheese, his weird jar with him. Estelle sniffed but waved her staff about, creating a dome of light around the orb that showed the flowing lines of wisp energy. They all watched it for a moment. Estelle frowned, tapping the staff a few times. I'm getting strong mana influxes from the village, but that must be royal knights, those monsters, but um, others' mana signatures are coming from the opposite direction, and it's definitely not human. Estelle pointed to a series of streams as she's prodded. The streams moved under her finger, as if she was something unpleasant. Follow the orange lines and we find the filthy hole in the ground, Estelle said with a smug superiority at her work. Hazar longed to point out that a 20-minute search or a marked map could do the same results, but she would get into a snit, and Estelle in a snit was far worse than a flesh leech stuck onto his family jewels. The last member of the group merely watched in silence from the shadowed cowl, gloved hands gripping their book tighter. Together, they moved as one through the woods, eventually being led by Estelle towards a clearing where the entrance to the dungeon was hard to miss. It wasn't the usual skull maw or glittering jewel affair. Those uh, who say forfeit may leave, Hazar muttered, reading the carved words into the arch above the door. Cute. Cod said as he walked up to the closed stone door, spinning the series of symbols on various rings with a frown. I hate puzzles, he declared abruptly. Any guardians or dungeon protectors? Hazar asked the cloaked figure who shook their head after a moment. They gave Hazar the creeps, but their ability to perceive things was unquestionable. Khan pulled his knife out and buried it into the stone where it sank like he was stabbing butter. He slowly moved his hand around the ring as his stone bubbled and black acid smoke filled the air. Moments later, he shoved with his shoulder and the puzzle slid inwards, letting Khan dig deeper until the whole door groaned, opening with the juddering movements. Everyone loves a one-trick man who only knows how to penetrate, Estelle yawned, waving the smoke away as she walked down past Khan, who scowled at her back. He moved aside to let the cloak figure down next. Estelle, I can be paid to tolerate, but the creep is setting off every alarm I have, he muttered to Azar, who slowed before him. They're not human, but that doesn't matter, he said back and nodded for Khan to guard the rear as they went down next. Azar took the last few steps in time to see Estelle kicking tables over in disgust. Gifts, tributes, I hate such pitiful things, she scoffed as she slammed the base of her staff down, smashing the round clay bowls into pieces. Hazar grabbed her wrist before she could use magic to do more damage. Get a grip. The act was cute when you were in school being taught how to wipe your ass, but down here you do what I say, he reminded and she glared at him, her skin crackling, burning his fingertips. Still... Hazar didn't let her wrist go or look away. Fine, Estelle said finally and wrenched her arm free to sulk over by the wall. If the damn woman wasn't so talented, so damn useful, Hazar would have taken someone else. But blood was thicker and all of that. Well, you're off to a great start, a voice said, dripping with sarcasm. They all turned to the tunnel leading deeper as something floated there. A demure, tiny girl with dragonfly wings. 
What the hell? Hazar said, but before there was any more sounds, Khan flashed past them, and the next thing they all knew, his knife was buried deep into the floating creature's stomach, the acid smoking as she croaked in surprise. Fast blood, he said triumphantly. There was a hacking cough, the sound of someone trying to dislodge something in their throat. My first date, no, uh, my first clients, and uh, this happens, the fairy screeched, her skin melting off in rage as she yanked the knife clean out of her body with annoyance. Must be some rule-bound creature. Khan, stop being so rude, Estelle said smugly as she walked forward, stepping on the remains of a childish temper tantrum, spreading the wooden and clay mess. Little monster, do you speak riddles? Must we guess your name? Estelle asked in a voice that was akin to speaking to a child. Hazel would be worried, but he could see the thick layers of magical defenses over her body. Even if Hazel swung with everything he had, Estelle would likely shrug it off with ease. The woman was a prodigy in barrier magic. God liked to joke that she was so good at it, no one could actually get close enough to see if she had any likable qualities. The fairy inhaled, half its face fixing itself, but one side of her face was still an exposed black skull. Something about that made Hazar frown. Black skulls. Why do they remind him of something? Riddle me this, riddle me that, the fairy began, face turning serene, which only made Estelle appear even more smug. How does one even fit in that dress when they're so damn fat? The fairy's tone turned as aesthetic as Khan's knife. Twin barriers appeared around the word in the air, shimmering blue, as they pressed in on the creature as Estelle's smirk turned strained. Cute, she said, and to everyone's surprise, the fairy gave a frustrated cry and dark energy leaked out, smashing the barriers before they could squish her. The fairy panted before smoothing down her dress. Good, they made it into this body. I thought I might only have sarcastic clapping and my charming words left, she said gruffly. Last chance, you foolish humans who ignore the cries of their seeds. I am Maharia, the fairy of this dungeon. I'm the only friend you'll have down here, and if you reject me, I'll bathe you in tears. She warned, skull socket igniting with a fire. At last, the day we accept such an obvious trap is the day we deserve to die, Estelle announced. Hazar didn't quite argue. He was too concerned about this whole thing to be fully against or for the idea. Dungeons were tricky things. Sometimes they were so simple in nature that people couldn't help but look deeper for trickery. Which was it here? He risked a peek at the cloaked member. They simply watched Mahari with a long look before turning their head to a stall, and he could almost feel the disdain coming off of them. I know your feelings, but no, you must follow your code of honor, he said quietly, so only they would hear Hazar. They finally spoke, and the sound of it made him grimace. It was like windpipes slowly blowing in a way that sounded like words, a form of manner speak that vibrated manner rather than air. I won't harm for disrespect, but I can detest her in my heart, all I wish, they reminded. Hazar really wished these kinds of people weren't rich or resourceful. The Order of Silver was a pain, no matter how simple the task was. Those who hunted the Silver God. Bunch of dungeon-worshipping nuts, Khan said as Maharia took them all in and her smile was coy. My, and I thought I had a chance. 
You lot are just oozing with confidence. I shall enjoy watching it crumble. But um, don't kill, don't steal, don't harm, and you'll come up richer than rich. But act as you are, well, <laughs> I've always wanted to see her go all out. I think she even held back against me somewhat. The very mused, floating back down the tunnel, her form turning translucent. There was a force of magic in the shape of a fist flung down the tunnel, going through her ghostly fairy as the stall scoffed. Maharia's giggles were loud, clear, and sinister. Well, that sounded like a challenge, Khan said eagerly, as a cloaked figure wandered over to some mockery of the dead, some memorial hall. Hazar didn't give it a second look. The stall cast a protective barrier on Khan as he walked down the hallway, looking for traps. Fungus? But at least it's pretty, Estelle said as they eyed the soft-glowing mushroom on the ceiling. Khan yelled as something sprung out at him. His knife buried himself in the pop-out sidepost. Jumpy, aren't you? Don't piss off the dungeon. New. The sign attempted to suck the knife into the wall with it, but with a flick of his wrist, the dark jewel on the knife pommel glowed, and the thing snapped back Khan's hand like an eager pet. Men who spend all the cash and time into a single object are sad, do you have a name for it when you sleep? Estelle said with her hand covering her mouth. Khan slowly stepped back without looking at her. Nick, he said flatly. Enough! Any traps beyond the sidepost? Hazel asked as the silver order returned. He bowed and looking sorrowful, but also moved. It just solidified Hazel's choice not to go into the memorial room. After clearing the tunnel... They moved ahead around the bend as one until they saw Maharia lounging on a beautiful bush, the fruit glowing succulent and ripe-looking. They grew in the middle of a garden of webs. Strands as long as rope and intricate as magic symbols covered the four walls, only leaving thin paths for people to move about. We've agreed on no challenges for you. You all, uh, was that that news said? She mused to the seating before going on. They've already caught a death as far as the dungeon deals it. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Maharia giggled. Estelle went to do something, likely blowing up a storm to tear the webs apart. But Khan stopped her. Easy now, you don't kick tripwires for fun. Spider webs on just nature's tripwires with glue on top, he said slowly. And Estelle looked ready to argue until she saw how Khan's eyes were a little vacant as he took the room in. Hey, trap, Azar asked him, readying his axe in case of action. It's a room full of webs, mate. Uh, it's a bit obvious it's a trap, Khan reminded. He moved slowly, moving carefully around some webs and testing others. Only some are stinky. We're meant to walk the path, and I think the webs could be a massive trap. If they go, then the seeding crushes us, or maybe we're locked in here with a dozen eyeball-eating critters. He said with an annoyingly chipper voice. Hazel was just glad he sheathed his acid knife before going web diving. Wow, afraid of spiders, yeah. You'll get far, Maharia said as she took another berry to snack on. Don't you have children to scare and teeth to collect for jump change? Estelle called over with clear annoyance on her face. I'll collect your teeth for free here and now. Maharia muttered back to her around bites of a rather delicious-looking berry. Following Khan's excitable self, they navigated through the maze of webs. It was awkward passage as Estelle accidentally found a real tripwire by falling over it. 
but nothing happened when she fell into the webs other than a painful screeches on her part. Maharia was beside herself with gleeful laughter. She had a grudge against Estelle rather than Khan, which was strange since Khan had stabbed her, but Estelle was just rude at first. They left the room and Hazar had a bit of a feeling that they were a hair's breadth away from meeting something else in that room. Maharia was lurking around them, easily avoiding Estelle's swatting of the evil order's almost religious petting. The hallways had the vibe of a natural cavern, the musty smell of water, earth, and something more potent filled the halls. Hazar could almost smell ale. He chalked it up to his desire to drink as Estelle and Maharia bickered. Maharia floated before the break in the path, the path going left, one going ahead, and one to the right. The fairy looked darkly amused. Now esteemed guests, she said, voice dripping with abrupt noble disdain that made Hazar uncomfortable and Estelle's cheeks turn red in anger. Your choice is your own, but let me explain before you moan. To the left are humble collections with a merry time. She held her hand to the left. But I heard the entertainment is far more sublime. She grinned suddenly. Must you rhyme? Estelle asked, stressing the question. Not at all, it is not needed in the slightest. However, it explains things to those that are not... She trailed off, smiling down at Estelle. The brightest, she finished. She pointed directly ahead as Hazar stopped Estelle from trying to club the fairy with her expensive staff. Under the stars and moon, take a breather, take a rest, you'll catch a fish soon. Then again, once in a moon so blue, the fish catch you. Maharia said with a slight twirl. She then pointed down the last path. That way is mud, it's good for your skin, she said lightly and kicked her feet up to rest in the air. The last one is a trap, I bet it's either a dead end or a floor miniboss. Estelle spat and Khan looked far too excited at that. The Silver Order was tilting their head and pointed down the other way to sublime times, in eagerness. Which way takes us forward? Azar asked, seeing how much the fairy would spell. All of them, some further than others, Maharia said breezily. Which is the safest? Estelle asked, and Maharia opened one eye before a smile grew larger and larger until her face deformed into something demonic. Oh, they're all so safe it's pathetic but so is fire until you throw fuel on it. She cackled and vanished. A silence lulled over them, except for the excited ruffles of the Silver Order tugging them to the left. This dungeon gave Hazar an uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach. That didn't happen too often. Something was very off about this place. Something very wrong. New watched as Dalta turned in a sort of restful peace. Between defeating Maharia, upgrading the third floor, choosing the fourth floor theme and dancing her heart out, Delta was lights out. However, Dungeon Calls did not sleep often. The fact that Delta could, and New became more, meant that as long as New was willing to take on the burden of being the subcore, like some sort of receptionist really for Delta, then the core would have days off. New would hate to be a bother and wake her up for something as unimportant as fools. No, Delta deserved to sleep and knew deserved some stress relief. It all worked out in the end, mostly in New's favor. But uh, who was counting? End of 
Chapter Chapter 142 Catfished The order of silver was outvoted. They went directly ahead. The factor was Estelle's determination to avoid filthy mudrooms and savage rituals of putting dirt on skin. Azar didn't argue since they were here to explore everything so they'd get around to it all eventually. Still, not even Estelle could stop a murmur of appreciation when they stepped into the large cavern with twinkling lights and some realistic illusion of a crescent moon high in the ceiling that slowly shifted across the peaceful sky. The room was some homage to a lakeside cabin affair. Its trees and bushes didn't clump together to hide any monsters, and the lake was active with fish that occasionally splashed the surface in brilliant flashes of gold, silver, and mixtures. Off to their left was a circle of rocks, stumps, and fallen logs around a used campfire with stacks of logs nearby for ease of use. No drops that I can sense, but like that barmaid back in Hollowfilm, Khan said slowly before grinning. Just because they don't see it as hiding doesn't mean that you don't get a surprise when you get your skirt up. Not a bad surprise. Just not for me, he admitted as Estelle shot him a disgusted look before she waved her hand. It's a lake. It is made of natural manner infused water. A jug full of the stuff is already enough to bring in mages and alchemists. Natural occurring water like this just isn't found so close to the surface or in such volume, she said as she waved her staff about. Proudly, she leaned down at the lake edge, her staff recording conflicting energies. There's, um, something else, uh, a few things in this lake, I think, she mumbled her staff prodding the lake surface. Her staff bobbed as she lifted it with a confusion to reveal a red crab hanging on the end with one claw. <sighs> it's lousy with seafood, she moaned, shaking it loose at the tap of the surface of the lake to make the surface turn slightly transparent as she layered a barrier spell over it, slowly filtering out the murk for the moment. A circle about as wide as the stella itself became clear and at the bottom of the lake, only visible due to its immense glow was a large blue crystal formation that pulsed gently. Azar was no merchant or wizard, but glowing crystals in a dungeon was a pretty valuable in his eyes. That's a water crystal, no, that's an untainted water crystal, Estelle squealed in delight. There was a tapping as the order, the, the name was a pain. What is it, Oz? Azar turned, the name coming off as Oz aloud. They were near the sign that said fishing and herb collection only. Don't duck around. No. It's fine. I can't read, Khan said pleasantly. Oz tapped the pictures at the bottom of the sign with significance where it showed a stick man fishing and hugging a bush. This was followed by a long line of pictures crossed out. Crystal mining, peeing in the lake, two people sharing a tent, and what seemed to be two people arguing over justice, money, and politics. One of those seemed to be mad the lake. If I obeyed every warning I ever read, I'd be a dull girl, Estelle said dismissively. You might also not be in severe debt to the capital, Hazar reminded dryly, getting a dark look in return. Watch my back. I need that crystal. I could do so much water repellent barriers or sell a water purifier, Estelle said, tapping her staff in a determined banner. How? As far as we know, no crafters have set up in snoozable outside. Without crafters, your treasure will only break down unless it comes from a monster. Khan pointed out. Estelle brushed a lock of her hair back with a smirk. 
Old news, you stabby-happy gremlin. Perhaps you haven't heard that dungeon items only break down if exposed to outside global manner. I just happen to have this, she said, flourishing a big janky-looking bracelet that was too big for a rest, and Gaudi beyond belief in an emerald in the center. I heard a storage rings, but a bracelet is new, Khan said slowly. Estelle hummed. It's the newest model. I can store up to a variety of items, less if they're magic, but still plenty of space. The added mass means I can also use it as a defensive bracer, and it's fashionable, she said in a haughty laugh. The gold is flaking off the sides to show the copper underneath. Shut it, Hazar. It was an investment, she snapped back, walking onto the lake with her magic heels, creating stable platforms for her. Oz was rapidly tapping the sign in a frantic manner, but Hazar felt a bit bad for the other two ignoring them. You can lead a horse to water, he shrugged at them before motioning towards Estelle. But you can't disown them, he added helplessly. Estelle swung her staff around in an arc in the air. Create him, marinum, hook him, she chanted with authority. From the tip of her staff, a long whitish line of mana flowed outwards, unspooled from Estelle's staff until she had enough to form a cross between a pickaxe and a hook on the edge. I really hate monthly wizard magazines and their budget spells. They all sound terrible, Khan said. And you can't read them, Kaysar added, ready to swing into action the moment something began to overwhelm Estelle's barrier. They have nice pictures, but the content must be garbage if Estelle uses them, Khan agreed. Hazar would agree, but he knew the spell Estelle was using. Its original use was for a kid-sized rod with a tiny hook. Estelle had modified it with some work to be, uh, useful. That was his cousin, all right, talented to high heavens, but always falling short due to the weight of her ego. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give some loot, gimme, give gimme, give so I can give Deck the boot. Estelle chanted as her magic line sunk into the water under her and moved deftly towards the crystal. Her line abruptly stopped and Hazar frowned, turning to see an oddly curious Oz fiddling around with a strange pedestal on the far side of the lake. Above them, the moon went from a crescent to almost full in a few seconds. My line must be caught in another crab. It's bobbing up and down, Estelle complained, yanking as hard as she could. The moon above slowly creeped to white fullness, lighting the chamber up like a dream. Estelle! Azar snapped back as the black shadow grew rapidly under her. I must have it, Hazzy. Stop acting like I'm useless. Estelle said, face turning red as she pulled with all she had. Khan and Hazar moved across the shadows of the lake, both attempting to get to the wizard. But a moment later, she was gone. Hazar watched as a barrier utterly broke under the gulping of a giant fish that couldn't possibly live in such a tiny lake. It splashed into the air, and the last of Estelle's mandoline being slurped up like pasta. Then it vanished back into the lake. Hazar didn't hesitate and dove into the water in a near-perfect dark. His axe drawn. Khan cackled as he followed next. Order of Silver Rank 299 stared at the slowly stilling lake's surface. They were undecided on how to feel. On one hand, Hazar wasn't a bad person. Order of Silver Rank 299 enjoyed their sensible mind and calm attitude. On the other hand, Estelle. However, on the other, other hand, Khan. So, that was two ups and one down for the party being wiped. Deep down, however, Silver 299 felt, um, 
a little perhaps sad that their time together was already over. It had been like having companions or, dare they say it, friends for a short time. Friends that had to pay to tolerate him, but friends nonetheless. Silver 299 lowered the clock to reveal a misshapen head and squished metal and flesh. A knight's wiser melted into the drooping eye and gaping mouth, the silver streaks twisting around the neck, intermingling with the skin. It was unlikely that Silver 001 would be found here. Not enough silver. Silver 001 wouldn't be around so much dirt in nature. But 299 found it quite enjoyable. Being in a dungeon always was nice. After a moment, the lake surface rippled to reveal a giant catfish creature. Its manor structure was a work of art. Chaos in motion that rippled like an uneven stars to 299's vision. Dungeon constructs usually had very little deviation in their bodies. But this dungeon? 299 had yet to find a single repeating pattern. It was borderline insane in its magnificence. The catfish opened its mouth to let 299 see inside, a dimensional space door staring back. Ah, they're not dead, but simply elsewhere. I'm happy and sad. Sappy at the news, 299 said in pure manner speak. You? A voice said, and 299 turned to see the fairy appearing before him. You're wrong, she said flatly, and 299 flinched, but he had heard of it before. Yes, he read. You're lucky you're here, otherwise the normal dungeon would try to end you. Are you a corrupted dungeon monster, or a human in the process of being a contract? She asked, and 299 eyed her, her glowing eye igniting in the night's visor, and his human eye managing to look at her. Yes. The word hung there for a moment. You're pathetic, Maharia said, and 299 flinched again, pulling his hood up to hide his face. But so am I. You'll like it here, I guess, she said and floated off. She paused to look back once more, blonde curls bouncing. New will hide you from sister and brother until Delta wakes. You're their ideal enemy, a dungeon being with its own growing seed. They won't be happy, or maybe they won't care. I don't know anymore, she said, and vanished. 299 stared, and the catfish nudged him with its tongue, inviting him to jump in. Making sure his hood was secure, 299 patted the fish. Thank you, cousin, he said, and hopped in, vanishing. After a moment, the giant fish sank without moving, eyes glued to a full moon with a gleam. Estelle moaned, her pillow feeling damp and slightly too squishy. The refresh and cushion charms must need renewing again. She would sneak them out into the academy's laundry room and perform the magic there before the others could see. Estelle didn't want Melinda to see her with less than perfect appearances on room inspection. She spread the gossip that the farm princess left like a pig back home, sweaty and disgusting. That cow, Estelle snarled, snapping her head up, ready to throw a blasting ball at the magic-proof walls when she stopped. She wasn't at the Academy for Talented Magi of the Kingdom. She wasn't in a single room while everyone else had roommates. Estelle wasn't there. Instead, she'd been sleeping on some large protruding fleshy lump that was sticking out the wall of some flesh corridor. Estelle inhaled, and the taste of raw fish clung to her tongue. The walls, the ceiling, the floor, the doors, it was all flesh, bone, and slime... Estelle let out a soul-wrenching wail. I'm fish food, 
she said in horror before she saw Hazar and Khan nearby, also staggering to their feet. Moments later, the creepy silver guy emerged from the wall of flesh like a phantom, unbothered and upbeat as always. Nistal hoped he might have gotten lost. Where the heck are we? She asked the others, remembering she had been so close to the water crystal. It would make such lovely earrings. It crushed her to know she might not get them now. Inside the monster fish. Some hidden room or something, Azar grunted as he stood up. And Estelle opened her mouth to say sorry for dragging them down, but then turned at just the wrong angle to look remarkably like her father. His annoyed, disapproving, and worst of all, at times, uncaring expression making her clam up. Gee, thanks. I wouldn't have guessed from all the drooling flesh and fish guts, she snapped back. Khan put his hand on the wall with little concern. It's not an actual fish. The walls are cold and there's no beat or blood rushing. It's just themed, I guess, he said, looking around as water came up at their ankles. The Order of Silver moved ahead, looking about as he touched what seemed to be a bony protrusion on the wall. Moments later, with a sickening squelch, a door opened like someone took a metal scoop to the walls. Estelle muttered a thanks as she stomped past, pushing her magic shoes to the limit to remain above the water. It might drain her matter just a little bit faster, but she would not walk in water that had crabs, eels, and what looked like broken pieces of white glass floating about. Khan lifted a big piece to show that it was a moon in the lake, but crunched into smaller pieces. The fish had eaten the moon. A lot. At least, no one was telling her what to do. A sign popped out of the flesh crack and hit Estelle in the face with a goop and mucus, the sludge going down her neck and into her dress. Estelle made a tiny growl in her voice and turned, only to nearly be hit by another sign that popped out of the ceiling. She made a growling noise again. The first sign read, Welcome to the hidden first floor alt rooms, a fleshy space that will offer some biological challenges since... I know you humans like your fluids and such. It's called Jonah's Revenge. No. The other sign was a little more worrying. If you don't find an exit, the water slowly rises until you all pass out and potentially drown. I'm kidding. You won't drown, but merely wash up on a lake a mile away from town, and likely with all your valuables stolen. Good times. No. Where's the exit? Estelle said in a slight panic. Khan looked around with a calm expression. If this is modeled after a big fish, I can think of three exits off the top of my head, he offered, and Estelle stared at him in confusion for a moment before it dawned on her. I am not going out of fish's butt, she said, with the indignation of a priest confronted with his hidden reading material by the sisters. Hazar put her hand on her shoulder. If Khan and Oz say that it's the only way, do we have to go out the butt, Etsy? Let's find the butt he said soothingly as Estelle's mouth dropped open. This dungeon was hell. Pure hell. Alpha followed the demure ancient woman up a flight of stairs as she grumbled. The old hollow inn was the sort of what perfect inn should be if you asked Alpha. The slightly soft glow of the candles and a fireplace spread light up many floors as he ran his hand over the slightly chipped and marked wooden banisters, as the smell of bubbling stew and wax along with earthy smells filled his nose. At the recommendations of Asanella, Grad and Grew can offer you a premium room, she said, repeating her words from the front desk slightly. Alpha 
wasn't sure who or what a Madame Gru was. But the way she spoke wasn't about the fact that she spoke a different dialect. No, Alvor was certain that the woman called herself Madame Gru because of some beneficial reason, as if it was both technically true and at the same time not really her name at all. They reached near the top where, despite the fact it had the feeling of not having people visited in a long time, there was absolutely no dust, dirt, or cobwebs to be found in the rafters. Stopping outside a very normal door, Madame Ku reached into a sleeve with a bony, pale hand that had expensive gold and copper rings on her fingers that sparkled with gems that would pay for a small plot of land in most places. The key she retrieved also looked quite normal, but it was metal and uh, round, with sharp, straight edges on its wooden carving sides with glass teeth and bone handle that meshed well with its stone head. Stop staring, it's rude, Goo reprimanded, breaking the spell, and Alpha saw the key, which just a key. Apologizes, he muttered, and she sighed, putting the key into the door that seemed impossibly big and small for a split second before it too was just a door. Madame Goo will collect you in the morning. You will leave the room when the sun rises. You will have breakfast. Staying in the room beyond checkout will be quite impossible. Now, enjoy, the old woman said, more a warning than an encouragement. Alpha once again considered just sleeping against Dalta's entrance and simply getting on with it, but he supposed he could look at the room. Inhaling, he took a step through the door and found himself in a single small room with a window. He took a step and looked down at the soft blue plush carpet that his feet sank into. He looked up at the shade hanging down over the light bulb. Without thinking, more an instinct, he reached up over and flipped the switch, casting light over the room. To his left was a bookcase covered in hardback fantasy novels, manuals for games, encyclopedias dedicated to ship designs, monster stats, and some space set aside for little plastic figures on stands. To his right was a desk with flat glass screen set behind a black row of keys with letters and comfortable looking chair. A still half pop can of soda sitting on a coaster looking right at home to the side. Right ahead was a bed that he didn't know but had known all his life. He looked over at the table by the bed and saw a simple notepad for some educational purposes. He picked it up and opened it to the first page. On the first few pages were comments and corrections. Need to work on your syntax, but massive improvement, Misty. We went over this, so I have notes that you can take home. See me when you feel comfortable, Misty. I'm so proud of you, 70%, Misty. Alpha dropped the book to the floor where it flipped two pages of doodles, a squibbling of a boy dressed as a knight slaying ogres and dragons, smiling. It was horrible art. And of course, another comment. Miss D had drawn herself as a sun, beaming down on the bad drawing. I might seem really hard, but if you work with me, you'll see all your problems are quite light, Miss D. Alpha looked around, taking it all in. He, uh, he might need Madame Goo's help in the morning. He laid down on the pillow, and a scent so strong hit his nose, causing memories with no real detail to rise up. He closed his eyes settling into an unknown but weirdly familiar sleeping posture on a strange but personal bed. Alpha remembered dreaming of a smiling woman holding out a test with a big smiley face next to a 90% pass mark. She wore a tie over a woman's shirt, a long skirt, 
and her face was blurred by the light and hazy fogginess. Adam, you made it. You can go on the trip. I'll drive everyone. Alpha curled up, resting deeply. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.